folks. Good afternoon or hello. Welcome. It is, uh, what are we, episode four of Talk ADHD. And again, we've been throwing this out to the community, Andrew and I, and the number two most commonly asked question was about relationships. So last week was all about what it means to be a woman. This week is all about our relationships with other people. And I think it's going to be fascinating. Um, so before we begin, uh, I thought it would be really interesting to try and set some uh, expectations of this one, because when you and I have looked at some of the comments and, and we've discussed this, a lot of them have been people thinking instantly relationships, meaning romantic husbands, wives, boyfriends, girlfriends. But I, I think you're with me on this. It's really important that we broaden this to be any relationship that we may have from childhood right through. So whether that's parental, whether that's in education, whether that's in the workplace, um, our communication differences, shall we say, impact every relationship we're likely to have and every interaction that we're likely to have. So um, we've got some fantastic questions that have come from the, the WhatsApp community, but it's important to, to say, I think you and I have probably got a duty of care, if I use that phrase, to make sure we we really make sure this is broad and we talk about all kinds of relationships. Would you uh, agree with that to begin with? I think so, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, intimate relationships are often the, the key relationship in our lives, but there are other relationships and we can learn from those relationships as much as we can learn from those intimate relationships i think so when we're talking about relationships we may well draw on relationships with people at work or friends or children you know it, it, it doesn't just have to, the learning doesn't just have to come from having a close intimate relationship with someone there, there's more to be gained by thinking about this topic more broadly yeah i totally agree yeah absolutely and it's interesting um i bought up the oxford english dictionary definition of relationship so um it says a relationship is the way in which two people or groups behave toward each other or deal with each other and the word that jumps out to me there given we're about to talk about adhd in relationships is behave because how early are we likely to have been told that our behavior doesn't match the expectations of that particular relationship yeah, and I think it goes even earlier than that. Yeah, I th yeah, I, th I I really do. Yeah, so I think it's uh it's fascinating that that's the the dictionary definition, but you know, we're we're minutes in, and what we've highlighted is we need to think right back from the first time we start communicating with anyone else, and and the interactions of that, and then how that changes and develops and what we learn as we progress. So um, it will be, it will be really, really fascinating this. And as ever, this is about trying to do this in an evidence led way, trying to say, well, what we talk about has evidence based in what we understand of not just ADHD, but communication and the psychology and the psychiatry of what does a relationship mean and how does it affect people? Um, and I think that's going to be really interesting. What we have got, though, is 
some incredible questions. So we've got this community now of knocking on 200 people, I think, on the WhatsApp community-ish. And at the start of the week, I said, look, this will be the topic. And they have been commenting all week. And this morning, I've summarized the, the main themes. So the, the main things they would like to talk about or us to talk about in terms of what they think of when they mean relationships. So I'm going to start by reading this list, about 10 or 11 points, and then maybe use it as a framework to come back to and, and then go back to some of this. So the main themes that we've drawn out of all of their comments have been, can we talk about emotional dysregulation, um, understanding anxiety, sadness, and intense reactions? Uh, can we talk about overwhelm, how recognizing small things can be overwhelming, communication challenges, struggles with explaining the impact of ADHD on emotions and reactions, uh, the intensity of experience and the need for parents and family and other people to understand the increased intensity of emotions and reactions, uh, insight and empathy. In other words, seeking ways to help people, whether they be relatives or other relationships, uh, empathize with the ADHD experience, uh, relationship dynamics, so suggestions for maintaining different relationships, understanding what it means to be neurodivergent and what it, mutual support means, uh, emotional and sensory sensitivity, so discussing emotional dysregulation, time management sensory issues and the impacts on different relationships, ADHD traits and misunderstandings, so clarifying misconceptions about things like laziness, inattention, and what might be classed as personality traits, uh, support and coping strategies, the importance of therapy, understanding and external reminders, unique challenges, things like looking at the interplay between addiction, work, school, what kind of reasonable adjustments might we, might we need, and the role of medication, which we've discussed as well. And then one of the biggest things that tends to come up is also, and I think a lot of these will be separate topics on their own, but the interplay between if our sleep is affected, how is our ability to make good decisions affected? And how does that affect our relationships? Because that lack of sleep and therefore lack of mental acuity can well, affect everything. But just that list alone is phenomenal. There's 200 people, and, and out of them, what we've got is a set of common themes. And I would imagine that almost anyone listening who has ADHD will agree with most of those, will, will have nodded and said, yeah, at some point or another, yeah, yeah, that's been a problem. Um, So... First of all, what do you make of that, given that's the common questions? Okay, so those common questions take us on a, a magical tour around all aspects of living with ADHD, don't they? Um, and living with someone who lives with ADHD as well. Mm -hmm. um, we can't possibly cover all of that in in the time that we've got. Um, people just would stop listening. Um, <laughs> but um there's so much and 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 the the community are right this all interfaces and meshes together and i think over the coming weeks as we start bringing in other questions that people have asked um you know the, the one that leapt out um i was on a message this morning was sleep 
we, we really do need to do an episode on sleep and yeah. relationships do impact on sleep. My relationship impacts on my sleep. You know, yeah. we, we're both hyperactive and, you know, we wake each other up. Yeah. Um, but but there there's so much here that I think this is going to be an overview. That's all we can hope to bring. Yeah. Um, and yeah. sadly, there aren't any convenient graphs and there aren't, there isn't chemistry or a little bit of biology, but not a great mm. deal to, to, to sit comfortably in and, and say, here's, here's a chart that shows this. This is, this is a different kind of science. So yeah. I'm not a psychologist. Um, I, I have an understanding of psychological theories and there's some psychological theory we need to talk about. Yeah. Um, but I think this is going to, to meander rather than potentially answer everyone's questions on relationships. And hopefully this will be a springboard to a sort of subset of, of podcasts about relationships and. Yeah, so, I agree. I agree. Um, so so it, it feels a bit like we're, We've covered those those really key biological topics on the podcast in the first three main episodes, and now we're really getting into the nitty gritty of yeah, this is more complicated. This isn't just a dopamine disorder. This is a human experience. Yeah. Um. And and so far we've looked at that human experience with ourselves. This episode we're starting to reach out and say, how does that then impact on how we relate to other people and yeah. their human experience and vice versa? Yeah. Um, so so yep, yeah, I've I've done some some reading. There are some there's an interesting new qualitative study. So instead of using numbers, researchers talk to people about about I... uh, their understanding of, of of things. And there's there's a nice um, study from this year that that I'll hopefully be able to draw on. Um, and okay. relate it, relate that back to the conversation, but um, I don't know where do we go from here. I, I've got some attachment theory we can talk about. We've got lots of questions. How do you want to take it forward, Matt? Okay, so I was trying to when when I was trying to summarise all the questions, I was trying to pull out the main themes. Um. And by I, I mean me and Monty, who's my my personal AI robot secretary, right? Um, and I was trying to figure out, okay, so what are we asking here? Because a lot of those questions could all be answered together as well as separately. They could be individual podcast episodes. What jumped out to me, and I asked the question to see if I was right, was what were the, out of that list, what were the common themes? And then from those common themes, which was the most common one that seems to cause us a problem. So the most common themes that, that jumped out were communication difficulties, for sure. How forgetfulness impacts us. So memory issues and what that causes. The big one I think that jumped out was being accused of or people feeling like we're not paying attention. And, and there's a big piece on that that I, I think is worth talking about. The impact on conflict resolution, and again, if we broaden this outside of romantic relationships, that conflict resolution piece, I think, is is really important. Difficulties in carrying out daily responsibilities. You know, why have you forgotten to do X, Y, or Z? And then the emotional regulation challenges. 
So when we are told you haven't, why didn't you? What does that cause? All of those points, I think, are really, really valid, but but are a good starting point to lead off to. But I think what you just mentioned is important. I think going backwards a little bit into the theory of attachment, and the reason I think that's interesting, and I don't know if you, you've seen this in practice as well, but I, um, I was teaching earlier this year, I was doing some training for a charity, and there happened to be a, uh, that they employ a clinical psychologist who used to be a pediatric specialist within ADHD and autism. And we had a fascinating discussion. And she said, in her experience, most young girls, particularly, were more often diagnosed with attachment disorders in young age before ADHD was ever considered. Now, I think that's a really important coincidence. The fact that the first thing that you went to was, should we talk attachment? And that seems to have been what she was saying. So let, let's, if it's all right with you, talk attachment. I'm not very well versed on this. I, I understand it, but where does, where does that come in? How does it come in? And, and I guess how early for you? Okay. Um, that's, that's again, one of those multi-layered questions that you have a habit of asking me. It's like a day um, on purpose, isn't it? Yeah, isn't it? Isn't it? <laughs> So attachment theory is, is mostly founded on the work of John Bowlby, right. who asked the question, you know, why, why do we attach to people? What's that for? What what's, what's happens and, and, and as relationships develop. So it's very much looking at those very, very early relationships. Um, before we're even aware of ourselves, we have relationships. Um, and usually, and, and, I have to speak generally, so I'm, I'm, I'm not disrespecting people who've had difficulty with parents. Um, we, we have to talk about the biology first. So that first attachment tends to be a maternal attachment, doesn't it? That, mm. you know, it, it's why midwives encourage skin contact when a, yeah. a newborn baby is born, to make that bond, make that connection. Um, and from that, we humans have experiences. So previously, we've talked about um, genetics and we've talked about biology and, and things that happen before we're born. But as soon as we're born, we're having social experiences and relationships are social experiences. Um, so as we're, we're developing in infancy, we learn from initially biological parents. Sometimes that changes to another caregiver, but that primary caregiver teaches us things about attachment. We learn that we can count on them, that we can't count on them. Mm. Um, and that provides the foundation for every other relationship, not just those ones reaching out, but we also have a relationship with ourselves. And that was something that I kept coming back to when I was thinking about this topic of relationships, is what's the most important relationship that we have? And I hope that this idea will continue through our conversation because in, in situations of conflict, we must first consider our relationship with ourselves. Right. So those, those foundations of relationships are taught in attachment um, and, and we develop an understanding of how the world works, who we can count on, who we can't count on. Um, what happens when certain things happen so it's it's an experiential learning that happens 
um, uh, and at- attachment disorders. That's a thing. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and and it can look very like ADHD. Uh, it's one of the challenges in diagnostics is is if there are attachment difficulties in childhood, how do we get past that to the biology, or is this something that's that's founded in that that social experience after birth? Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. The one Um, question that just jumps to mind is, are there also cases where it's possible to have both, where you you could have, through that early experience, developed an attachment disorder and also ADHD as well? And then does it get doubly hard or is it unusual that it's both? I think it's more likely, isn't it? Um, We have to look at the heritability of ADHD. We, we are, if, if we're living with ADHD, we're likely living with a parent who has mm-hmm. ADHD. Right. Okay. So there's a, there's a relationship challenge that's impacted by ADHD straight away. Yeah. So, yes, absolutely. Bad things happen to people with ADHD just as much, if not more than the typical guy on the street. Um, and that's something I'll, I've often said in team discussions around, you know, is this an attachment disorder or is this ADHD? It's something that we clinicians wrangle with all the time, because if it's an attachment disorder, then there's no amount of medication really going to make that much difference. Um, but if if it's if there is an attachment disorder in the context of ADHD, yes, it will help. The medication right. will help. So so it, attachment is one of those key diagnostic debates that we often have um, and and have to go digging into to history to, to work out were the issues there before the attachment issues came about because that then pins it down to ADHD. Okay. So if, if that's the start point then, um, and, and one of the things that came up in the, in, you know, in the, sort of the prep I was doing was how early, because you mentioned about way before we have real awareness of ourself, but in our own relationship. So, so from what age typically, if, if we take an typical brain and, you know, ADHD aside, but from what age do you think we begin to be aware that, you know, aware as a human being, if you like, of feeling supported not supported nurtured not nurtured or, or is it so vastly different and personal it runs again? deeper than that it runs deeper than that yes that happens um, right and that happened that happens in child development but to say that's when it starts you're missing something okay. um, because that there are those basic needs i've talked already about yeah, yeah, delivery yeah. sweet skin skin contact you know, as a as a baby, newborn baby, we're not aware of having that skin to skin contact, no, but it connects no. with us. It connects with us. Um, it we're not aware that you know, three months old, we lay crying in bed because we wanted a drink of milk and we didn't get that. We're not aware of that, but it had an impact. Yeah. So, yeah. so we get these layers building up of understanding, and and that. It's, that's the foundation of psychology, isn't it? That, yeah, that's yeah. what what psychologists will do is explore those experiences and with hi- the benefit of hindsight, look back and and think about the response we had as a vulnerable child to things that didn't go well in childhood. 
I don't want to spend too long on this, but I've just made perhaps either a mental jump that's right or a mental jump that's wrong. And and this is to the parents who hear this. Please comment on this. This is going to be fascinating for me. You just explaining again, skin on skin and how that affects the child, the infant. I just had a very vivid image of a young mom, newborn, first child perhaps, with either diagnosed or undiagnosed ADHD, all the hormonal changes that Sarah was talking about last week that she's just been through for nine months plus, all the ADHD effects on that or or changes with that, suddenly potentially struggling with postnatal depression or the onset of, and also... ADHD overwhelm and not feeling able or capable to give whatever that means, that level of attention, care, support to that infant, not through lack of want, but just because it's too much. And and I wasn't prepared for this. And, and again, you know, now I'm, my brain's going relationships back. What was their parental relationship? My head has just gone, oh, my God, maybe. And this was a question somebody asked me the other day. Do you think more ADHD women are at risk of postnatal depression? Maybe there is something in that. And maybe, therefore, that does affect the child going forward. Because, again, it's the relationship with the parents, the relationship that's not formed early. But it's not a – I don't think it's a deliberate. If anything, it's far from it, but just without the capacity to do anything about it. Does that make sense? I, f- it, it, I just couldn't help that image while you were talking. And it's quite sad to think that might be the case. I think that that really hammers home the enormity of the topic here. It's so comfortable, convenient to to reduce things like the medical model does to a diagnosis, to treatment, to mm-hmm. understanding fluctuations in hormones actually when you get to the human experience of, of that scenario you just described it challenges our relationship with ourself overwhelm is about challenging our relationship with ourself i can't deal with this yeah. that is a statement about my relationship with myself if i say yeah. that yeah and then you can take it a step further can't you if that person has a partner and their partner is saying why aren't you able to why aren't you doing you should be social expectations, you know, perceptions of what being maternal would look like and they're not being met and the person can't. Oh, man, it's just, as you say, the enormity of that. But I'm beginning to now wonder whether, again, it's the how regularly that may be happening and being missed. Because what what midwife, what, you know, what windmill's got to come round into a newborn mom and say, oh, you're struggling and think ADHD unless they have got ADHD in the family or experience of it. So, yeah, that, that responsibility tends to fall on health visitors. Yeah. Um, Sorry, that's right, yeah. And sometimes social workers as well. And, yeah. and it is, you know, the, the, the awareness in those sort of further removed allied professions um, does need to be improved. We do need to work on that. Um, I, ah. I've seen some horrific decisions made because of a lack of understanding of exactly the type of scenario you're describing. Mm. Yeah. You know, that, yeah. That, that breastfeeding mother who back in the day we wouldn't medicate and, and 
really, really struggling. Mm. Um, just taking that as this is a mum who is struggling, not this is a mum who ha has ADHD, took medication for it before pregnancy and has absolutely soldiered through pregnancy. And now mm. the ADHD specialist is saying, I'm not comfortable to prescribe your medication while you're breastfeeding. So or, it, more tension, more more mm. pull. Um, and and that, that happens all the time. There's, I think most mums living with ADHD could, can connect with exactly what you've just said, that scenario of, of wow, this is overwhelming. Yeah, because yeah, I yeah. think most mums who don't have ADHD would say, yeah. that newborn baby, that's overwhelming. Yeah. Having a newborn child, it, it, it yeah. changes the world forever. Oh, yeah. Becoming a parent changes changes everything. And let's be let's be realistic about this as well. It changes your dynamic and your relationship with your partner straight away. You know, if yep. if if that relationship is there for straight, every, oh, yeah. I guess this this is just making me think. Like we said at the start, this is a, a this has to be an overview. And I'm conscious I could talk about this early stage for the next hour quite easily and never get to some of the questions. So let's try and take it a step for a step further on then so what what do we understand or maybe what do we know of maybe infant age through to um sort of preschool age in terms of that attachment again and the understanding of that in relation to maybe early knowledge or, or or early understanding of could this be adhd or is this something okay so the development of, of self-awareness starts with i am the whole world doesn't it as a, as a newborn baby i am the whole world and mm -hmm. and everything revolves around me and then that awareness grows and we start to understand i'm not the whole world and we, we start to see other people. We start to recognize ourselves in the mirror. There are all sorts of signs that we're starting to develop awareness of more than just us. Um, and as we do that, the, those layers of, of experience build and build and build. Um, and and we, we develop a, a style of attachment primarily to the primary caregiver. So if, if I'm left crying in my cot, every morning because I want a bottle, then I learn that no one's going to come and feed me. Um, but at, as that goes on, there, there, there are sort of more complex needs as our awareness of, of who we are and, and how we relate to the world. Those, those foundational rules build and we, we can learn to respond to how people are responding to us differently. So the nature of that attachment evolves. Um, and that in response to to the the relationship that is coming back to us and we can learn different things we can learn to worry that no one's going to come and and feed me mm. yeah and we can yeah. we 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 can learn that i get shouted at if i cry because i want a bottle so i just keep my mouth shut so we start to to build these assumptions these rules for how to engage with the rest of the world through those early attachments and then we that if that grows out as we go to nursery and we, we start to practice those with other people so I'm, my teacher is not my mum so I, I can get i can expect different from teacher than mum mm. 
um, and, and we start to generalize and start to learn our process for, for engaging with the world and having relationships. Is that maybe one of the earliest points in, in our relationships with other people where we might see what could be defined as, and again, I'm looking at some of these things, the emotional regulation challenges, if we are wired to respond differently? Well, yeah, because because before you learn to regulate motion, you experience emotion. Yeah. So the distress of lying in that clock crying for yeah. a bottle is an emotional experience. Yeah. Yeah. So the adaptation to that, that attachment style, how we as an individual baby deal with that defines how we regulate our emotional response to the fact that we want a bottle and we're not getting one. And it builds up layers upon layers upon layers, like. Going to say that starts that then that starts building your internal history, doesn't it? And your your yep. perception of, you know, it's a phrase I use a lot, maybe because I'm a bit, it's the if this then that, isn't it, of life? It is, it is, it is, and and those rules and our emotions. Um, one of my sort of go to phrases: our emotions are are, are like shortcuts. Two quite complex series of thoughts. Yeah. So if if I feel sad, I'm behind that feeling, which you know that happens here. But up here, there are a, a lot more complex thoughts that are attached to that. So we have these feelings which give us shortcuts to groups right. of thoughts. Um, right. So so yeah. The, the relationship between thinking and, uh, and emotions is there once again psychology because that the third mm -hmm. part of that triad is is behavior yeah so so yes we, we, there's that we there's that word again knee right? deep knee deep in psychological theory here all right okay so let's try and not go to too much deeper than these but i guess it might be unavoidable a bit so let me take this a step further mentally then okay so that's the first time when we maybe start to to build those layers we get our perceptions of what happens when i show emotion we start modeling to use the word behavior or what we think is expected behavior but then we can now i guess look at when we go into the school system when we start our school journey and when we first are truly overstimulated overwhelmed sort of if you like, almost disabled by that overwhelm, and yet someone, an adult, a caregiver, has an expectation on us that we can't meet, that could, I guess, be the first real times where we are left feeling, I don't know what just happened there, but I know I ended up in trouble. Yeah. And that, again, imprints on your brain, doesn't it? It puts an imprint in your brain of, well, when that happened, I responded like that, and that was the result. And I guess this is the root of where we can build resentments and where we can build frustrations and where we can get confusion if we haven't got people that can explain it to us or us to others. Yeah. As kids. Yeah. So as you were saying that, I was thinking about a Roomba. You know, these, right. 
computer-controlled hoovers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so machine learning teaches, it learns its environment and it responds to yeah. it and it learns the best route to clean that room. Yeah. But at first it has to bang against the table leg and it has to bang against, yeah? Yeah. 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 <laughs> and over time, the computer program learns where the table leg is, where the chair is. Yeah. Um, sometimes it expects the dog to be there, but it's not. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so, so over time, that program learns where the floor is and where the furniture is so that it can guide the hoover around and and there's there's some of that here and this is what happens when when your child first goes to nursery and and starts encountering other people's programs and and bangs mm-hmm. into them yeah, yeah. so and the, what you described was encountering a table leg so you go to nursery you encounter a social situation that you've not had before and your whole code has to be rethought mm-hmm. What does that mean for where tables are in this room, says yeah. the Roomba? Yeah. Um, and we just keep doing that. We're doing it now. You and I are doing mm-hmm. that now. We're learning about each other. We're four episodes in. We haven't had yeah. lots of conversations before the conversations that people are watching. And our working relationship, the way our conversations are evolving, is is all happening in the context of my life before we met and your life before yeah. we met. And it's just come together into this yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting. There's that that rumba type learning, which never stops, does it? And, yeah. and and again, I get I know, I don't guess. I know someone at this point has already the word somebody thought of is masking. Is this where we could say kids learn to mask, young people learn to mask? Because if I do that, I'm not gonna get a result that's positive, so I'll copy, you know, everyone else. Right? If, and it's a really important phrase for me because of a very, very personal experience with our oldest son, if I'm able to, if I can copy, so my machine learning doesn't feel like that fits. I don't feel like that's the right, the response I want to give, but everyone else is doing this and they're getting praise or they're getting whatever, right? So I shall try and copy them, even if it makes me feel uncomfortable, even if. Now, very often as adults, when we talk about masking, it's a very finger wagging. You made me mask. And actually, it's not that anyone made you. It's just that from the earliest point, we couldn't explain why it was uncomfortable. We didn't have the vocabulary to say, I don't. And what the experience I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, and this is relationships 101 for our son, three years old in a preschool with undiagnosed ADHD and at that point autism, right? But we knew, you know, slightly different. And every session they'd be put in a much smaller room, probably about, you know, four or five metres by five metres, between 20 and 30 toddlers, and it was music time. And there's the load of musical instruments. Yeah, right, your reaction straight away. Let's all play and sing along and bang to... Now, there is our son who hasn't got the ability at that point to go, actually, I'd much rather not because this is hell. I'd like to go and play with the cars, right? And he's forced to go in and the doors are shut and you sit on my lap. And we suddenly go from, in a matter of weeks, a toddler who's toilet trained, happy and comfortable to a toddler who is on cue soiling himself when music time is mentioned, who is crying, who is screaming. And instead of that need being met, instead of that, 
emotional response he was displaying being met by an adult with, okay, this doesn't seem right. It was met with us being called in, told he was the singularly most naughty toddler the nursery leader had ever met, and with him being expelled, for want of a better description. Now, that in itself was a complete breakdown of a relationship at that age. That was one of his first relationships with an authority figure that wasn't a parent, one of his first opportunities to feel, okay, an adult will help me if I feel an emotion, and it wasn't. Yep. But there it is. He's machine learning, wanted one thing, and yet societally didn't fit. I don't have that information to understand, therefore... I'm not even going to compute that it there could be something else. You're just naughty. Yeah. So so in that situation, um, you've missed a bit. You've missed a bit. And that is that little boy in this new situation. Mm-hmm. And being overwhelmed. And I my programming hasn't encountered this before. No. And this is challenging lots of things that I learned before about mm. who I am and how the world is and how mm. I interface with that. And at this stage, I can't deal with that music time. No. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I, and that, so that you're looking around the room, all the other kids are dancing and singing, yeah. and I, you know, I'm going, oh, I yeah. can't do this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and that was a personal challenge, which you're right. You know, as parent, bang on there. Where was the adult saying, OK, this is an uncomfortable situation. Let's understand why. Let's find out what's going on. Mm. Um, and instead, put the social expectation. Come on, you're a toddler. You, all yeah. toddlers love playtime. And, you know, what's going on here? Mm. Um, and I think that story just ripples out into all the questions that have been asked. It does, doesn't it, really? Absolutely. Every question that's being asked, Mm. we can think back to that toddler going into the music group and being completely overwhelmed because of how his brain was processing information and how the responsible people around those relationships Mm. reacted to that. Yeah, you're right. I've got the list in front of me and you're right. It's everything, isn't it? It's all of those points that that we mentioned because it did affect his sleep as well, oddly. You know, he, he he stopped sleeping. He couldn't explain himself. The relationship dynamics were wrong. It's fascinating. and, and what a, Because the whole programme was challenged. Yeah. Like, yeah. The, everything, you know, the, I, I, I learned not to, to soil myself, but... That was before I'd encountered this. Now yeah. the whole world is different. So yeah. I have to re-process re all of that information so that I can do that in a world where there's a toddler's music group. Yeah. And, 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 and I guess the reality is we can take that and change that from a toddler to a, a six-year-old to a 14-year-old to a 21-year-old at university even the same situations, the same clashes in our expectations, our learning of self versus the expectations being placed upon us are likely to happen. And unless we've been given the ability, the confidence, the vocabulary and the compassion to be able to explain that, it's 
almost always going to result in a problem, isn't it? It is. And I, you stopped at 21, but there's this psychological theory that talks about the, the changes at retirement. Oh, wow. And how, how your whole identity, you know, when you meet someone, hello, what do you do? Uh, of course, I'm, right. I'm retired. I don't do anything. <laughs> yeah. Is, yeah. is how some people, retired people respond to that. I, I, you know, who am I? Yeah, yeah. Because I've defined myself for all my working life as someone who does X, Y, or Z. Mm. And, and now that context has changed. Wow. Um, so, th so there's something here about the connection between relationships and how they are a proxy to reach out into the world. It's a safe space, isn't it, a relationship to start practicing and, and dealing with the discomfort of the challenges that come to us in life. Yeah. And, yeah. A, and again, I, I, I'm, I'm now thinking about my own relationship with, with Catherine, my wife. You know, I met her when I was 18 and a half. She was 17. We've been together ever since. Now, I didn't know anything about me at that point. She didn't know anything about herself at that point. And we'd not had two kids with diagnosis of anything. So we were just, as far as we knew, fairly normal teenagers. Right. But we talk about this often. There were things, there were signs about social anxiety and about lack of attention and about behavior that were always there, but we didn't have the knowledge of what it went. But it affected our relationship as teenagers and as 20 somethings and as 30 somethings. And because my, my un, unmet ADHD, presented so severely and we had no filter for it bless her she she lived with and it's her word not mine for years a hurricane she lived with you know the walking embodiment of chaos with no explanation literally no explanation and again now i look at that list and go yeah every time we would have argued or she was depressed and, and upset with me it all came back to all the rest of the questions our our community have sent if I had the ability to go, oh, well, you see, it's this, maybe, maybe, but I didn't. I had no answers. But interestingly, and this is, I think, where addiction potentially can come into this and other challenges, self-medicating as well, the less I could answer, the more I ran away from having to by doing other things. So yeah. we were both self-medicating unmet needs, ADHD, autism. We were both doing it. We were both heavy smokers. We were both heavy drinkers in our mid-20s, right? And we'd have just said we were really social, but actually we both have said long since after, no, it was just stimming and self-soothing. But for me, it just escalated. It was a, it was a I can't cope with this because I can't explain it. So actually, if I'm doing that, I don't have to think about it. Now I know that. It's horrifying. <laughs> now I know that. I'm like, oh, my God. But all of the questions we've been asked filter into that. So it's fascinating that this can and probably almost certainly does all start so early. And it comes back to something we spoke about before, which is education and communication and empathy and understanding. You know, yes, this podcast is our, our attempt at trying to do that. but it, Boy, oh boy, you know, I'm sure you have in practice and I know I certainly have in my professional career now met so many people 
who are struggling in relationships, have struggled in relationships, and feel like I can't answer these questions. I don't have answers for you. And that's... Yeah. It, it's, yeah. it's hard, isn't it? Um, yeah. It's, it, it's very hard, and it's, it's a minefield as well, because we, so far we've, we've spoken about relationships as as if we are the child in the the music group yeah yeah yeah. but there are also the the um the the nursery nurses that dealt with that situation they brought their experience yeah um and they had a different perspective um so the the relationships there's there's this really reductionist um, the word I use a lot because it's, it, it helps, it tidies things up. There's quite a reductionist psychological theory that reduces relationships down to almost like an economic exchange. Mm-hmm. I'm in a relationship with you because I get something for what I give. Yeah. Um, it, it's always sat uncomfortably with me, that theory, because I think relationships are more complex than that. But at that foundation level, there's something in it. We don't maintain relationships with people usually who are detrimental to our lives, unless they're bringing something positive as well. So when you were talking about you and Catherine in your mid-20s, yeah, there was all that chaos. I, mm. I don't know, but you've, you told me there oh, was. Yeah, there was yeah. Um, but, but there were things, there, there were paybacks oh, for yeah. both of you, that yeah. made that bond work. Mm. And that relationship has evolved because you've both worked at it. Yeah. You've oh. both accepted that sometimes things go wrong. Sometimes it's not all hearts and flowers that actually the challenge in a relationship, and I speak from my own personal experience here, that the challenge is it's not when it's going well, it's when it's going wrong. And, that's and, true. and how, how that connection survives those challenges. Is, is a measure of, of a strong relationship, in my mind. Oh, I completely agree. Okay, I, I think, because like we said, I know we can't, we can't go massively in depth, but I'm conscious that this, this list again in front of me, I wonder if, between you and I, we can, we can look at some of these and, and maybe either, you know, group them again. A lot of them are regularly occurring, right? A lot of these things regularly occur. And like I said, if you, if you group them, we're talking about why do we find it? Let's start with the question. Why do we find it a challenge in terms of communication in our relationships with others? What is the fundamental struggle that most people encounter? Now, I think that's a massively multifaceted thing. But if I think about me, and, and I've seen the, the detail of the questions everyone's asked, obviously, on the group, a lot of it is about several things for me. It's because we don't understand ourselves well enough to be able to feel we can explain ourselves to anyone else. Because we think that if we try, people will think we're just making up excuses. You're just trying to get yourself off the hook, right? There is that or you're not going to be believed. And I think the the biggest one for me is that 
because we feel like if we do that, we are what's the word exposing ourselves more than perhaps we ever have now you sh in certain relationships that shouldn't be a problem but there is a certain amount of exposure of saying look actually regardless of what you may think i am struggling it's the same in work relationships when people don't want to ask for help at work there is an a, an amount of bravery it takes to say i am struggling here you don't see it but i do and i need your help that, I think, is where communication starts to break down for a lot of people. Because they're embarrassed to do it, they don't think they're going to believe, or they don't understand themselves enough to be able to, as they see it, do a good job. Now, I don't know if you've met people in your clinic in practice who've, who've sort of said similar things, but I know I certainly have in terms of mentoring. And actually, the... There's something you said, I think, in, in the first episode that I reference quite a lot now to try and make people feel a bit better at, about this is, look, the only person that's an expert in how you think and feel and how this is impacting you is you. Yeah. Don't worry about whether you're right or you use the right words or whether it's what's been seen online. Just explain how it feels. You can only try by, or you can only start by trying to do that because you know but communication you know we hear it all the time communication breakdown that is huge i think for a lot of people me included yeah so communication is a two-way process it's it's never about one person miscommunicating no. that, that that doesn't happen communication doesn't happen because one person does not communicate effectively it's be communication is something that happens between people it's yeah. not something that we do to each other um and when we enter into communication we have to give something of ourselves don't we we it's it's back to that economic theory isn't it you, mm -hmm. we, we have to we invest something when we communicate we take a risk yeah. give that to someone we, we we make ourselves vulnerable and say look this is happening and i'm vulnerable and yeah. we we invest in that communication that someone is going to receive that help process it help help us with it and pay us back with interest that's mm -hmm. why we do it but if we've got unhealthy attachment styles from our childhood all of that is in, impacts on the willingness to invest right it, if you continually invest in in companies that go bust you yeah. stop investing yeah yeah and if, if your initial experience was of investing was that child in that cock crying for a bottle and the investment never paid then you just don't get into investing you just push everybody yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep of course. arm's length because to be that vulnerable it's not safe. You've not got the experience of the, the safety of, of getting the investment return. No, no, you don't. Um, and I think all relationships have and require an element of us being vulnerable. Mm. I'm feeling like that yeah. it's safe to do so. Yeah. Right. I go to the corner shop and I buy a bottle of milk. I have a relationship with the shopkeeper. Yeah. I trust that that shopkeeper is keeping his shop safe enough that someone's not going to come and take my wallet out of my hand mm. as I'm paying for my milk. 
Yeah, yeah. So every time we connect to another person, we have a relationship and we have an understanding of the safety of being vulnerable in that situation, whether it's getting your wallet out or getting your deepest, darkest pains and sharing them with someone. Yeah, I think you're right. And the thing that's coming to my mind now, and it's funny enough, it's a question that came up is, I think there's a lot of common things we struggle to communicate. And, and I think this is wrapped up in that, will this be a safe exchange? Will I get that, you know, paid back with interest, whether it's in understanding or just empathy? There's a lot of things that we back away from. And one of the, um, one of the most common things I think that came up this week was people saying, I wish people could understand what it's like to be inside my head when I'm trying to concentrate, because that then focuses, you know, this, why aren't you concentrating? Why are you doing this? Right now, a scan search online will, will give you a hundred different definitions that ultimately point you in the same direction for people with ADHD. It can feel like a cacophony at all times. And you're trying to filter through everything and not knowing how to do that. So this might be a bit of an opportune moment here. I, I was asked by the group if there was something we could do by way of an example that partners or those without ADHD could, could listen to or see that would give them even the smallest sense of this is what it feels like sometimes to be overwhelmed, anxious, emotional, and trying to communicate at the same time and listen and have a, you know, a useful conversation, right? So hopefully technology will not fail me. I have created a little video. So before I load it, this is for everyone that doesn't have ADHD predominantly and those that do. It is uh, just under 40 seconds, this video. And the only challenge is I want you to watch it. And at the end of it, in the chat, Please send this if you watch on YouTube or, or MS. I want you to tell us what was the man on screen talking about? Pay attention to him. I don't want you to pay attention to anything else. Pay attention to the man. That's all you can see. What is he talking about? So you've got 40 seconds to figure this out and tell us the answer. <laughs> Full stop. I'm going to speak to you honestly. So there's your question. What's he going to speak to you honestly about? Tell us, put the answer down there. And then think of it in these terms. There are points in almost every person with ADHD's life where overwhelm, whether it's the day at school, at work, a social engagement, trying to talk to your partner has become so much that it feels something like that inside. And then if we are being asked question upon question upon question, even if it's a simple thing, there is a high chance we're not going to be able to not just communicate why we can't do what we're being asked to do, but also why it's so difficult.
And I think that, for me, is a big point of this. It's being able to say, can we just stop? I need to reset. I need to go and do something else before I can do this. It's that level of, like you say, two-way communication. Um, that when it reaches that point, imagine being a child at school and it happens. I remember it. Imagine being at school and trying to concentrate on what the teacher's saying when it feels like that. Then imagine trying to explain to your parents why your grades are slipping. You can't say what it felt like that, but this is the reality of when communication fails us, not because we can't communicate, but we don't have the examples. We, we don't feel will be believed. So we know communication is an issue. It's something to dive into. Can we, before we move on, Matt, before we move on, I, I need to say something to the people you've just been talking to. Oh. Because everything you've just said is fair. It's absolutely fair. But those who don't have ADHD, who just watched that video, I'd like to ask them how many of them switched off. Oh, yeah. Because the noise was too much. Yeah? Yeah, great question. How many <laughs> of you actually just went, nope, I'm not listening to that because yeah. it's nonsense. I can't pick out what's going on. People with ADHD can't do that. We don't have the luxury of being able to say, no, I'm not taking that. So that, that idea of saying, yeah, I need to get somewhere quiet. Everybody that doesn't have ADHD that just listened to that video went somewhere quiet in their minds if they became overwhelmed. Mm. And if you have ADHD, you can't. You no. go somewhere else noisy and it just pings around the room and, and without yeah. medication, it dampen that down a little bit. Yeah, you're right. There is no escape. Um, so, so for those without ADHD watching this, that gives you a taste of what it's like. Mm. But be aware that if it became too much for you, your brain probably said, close that out. And ADHD brains don't. You're absolutely spot on. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely spot on. And it it is fascinating. I've never thought of it in those terms, actually, but you're right. We can't do anything about it apart from suffer it. Yeah. We have to go somewhere else. We have to turn that video off mm. because to, to, to even just allow it playing mm. is too much, which yeah. is why it's, it's why kids come home from school having – masked all day yeah. and are difficult when they get home because Absolutely. it's safe. They can go, ah, yeah. um, and, and the safety of that relationship. So you've got to say, if you've got a good nurturing, safe bond with your child and they yeah. come home from school and the teachers are saying, well, he's an angel at school <laughs> and they come home and they unload all of this tension from the day. Yeah. That's a compliment to your parenting. Isn't it just, yeah, um, and can I just, can you just say that again slowly for all the parents, either with or without ADHD, even if you don't know, because I know, I know you've gone to the school pickup, you've gone to the gates or your kids come home and you feel judged. So can you just make sure you say that again? Because that's the single kindest but most important thing I've ever heard anyone say to a parent of ADHD. <laughs> So, yeah, you're, you're a parent of a child with ADHD or suspected ADHD, and you've got teachers saying, model pupil at school, no trouble at all. Um, and then they come home, and every night it's a war zone when they get home. 
there's no greater compliment to your parenting than that because you have made it a safe place. You've got a safe attachment where that child can express themselves, be vulnerable, have that emotional dysregulation that they can't do at school because it isn't safe. So if you've got a child coming home from school who at school is managing, but is coming home from school, just every chance that that's a compliment to your parenting yeah. and not a criticism of it. Yeah. Let that one sink in. Share that to any parents that you know might not be listening to this if had those conversations with you because never a truer word has been spoken. But how often do we judge ourselves? How often? And I've done it. My wife and I have said it before. What have we got wrong? Why is it so difficult? Why is it like this? And we know this stuff as well and have done for years. But just remind yourselves of that. If they are keeping it together in school, despite everything, you are doing something in incredibly well because they feel like they don't have to do that when the door closes and then does that actually ripple out into everything we've talked about you and Catherine in your 20s mm. the, the the that safety that a good attachment a good relationship can give mm. often creates the space to express things that we hold to ourselves and don't want people to see. And, and, and that vulnerability that we have in a relationship, the more vulnerable we can be, the more rewarding it is because it, we can be safe in it. But that's something that has to develop and is worked on, and that's what relationships are, ADHD or not. But having that extra layer of, of everything that happens to us leading up to diagnosis and all of those chair legs in the room with the rumba, you know, the, 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 all those bounces that we've had bringing them into an intimate relationship between two adults and being vulnerable and allowing it to be sometimes chaotic sometimes feeling unsupportive sometimes getting on each other's nerves that is a strength in a relationship yeah. so long as you can work with it so yeah. long as you're not criticizing it and oh I, I mustn't do this and i mustn't do that mm. you know the, the freedom of that child coming home from school is is to not have to mask anymore and a strong relationship shouldn't have masking in it it should have communication no, but it's wrong. very difficult there's there are all sorts of tensions because of the symptoms of adhd to to do that yeah, um, you're right. We, we we struggle with emotional dysregulation. It's number one on on your list of of things that that people have raised. Um, and given those emotions are postcards from our past, you've been in this situation before. Says the emotion. This mm -hmm. is what happened before. Being aware of that and where that emotion's coming from, and communicating that to a partner is a really really powerful thing. Yeah, I don't is. know what to say right now. I'm just so overwhelmed. Mm. My emotions are, are all over the place. It's reminding me of arguments I've had with former partners. It's mm. and saying that, yeah, rather than thinking you've got to have complete regulation of your emotions with the person who says they love you and is your life yeah. partner. Yeah, you've got to be able to put some investment into that. Yeah, and sometimes that is about taking a risk, but usually with investment, it's a risk. And over time, that, that strength grows, doesn't it? Being vulnerable, being anxious, being sad with a partner, having intense reactions and that being okay. Yeah. Because being look, able it's the to same. Kiss and make up. 
Yes. It's the same, though, isn't it, Andrew? You are saying exactly the same thing applies here, right? Just to be clear about this, what you said about when the child comes home from school and explodes being a reflection on how good your parenting is, listen to all the partners out there who may feel that it's challenging and difficult and exhausting. If your partner, your adhd your autistic adhd whomever they are, comes home and you feel they're very different to the person that you know they are in public, that's because you give them the space to do that. They are comfortable to do that. They feel able to do that. And yes, whilst there are challenges, and yes, whilst there are things that probably do drive you to distraction, they're in their safe place. And actually, hard as it is, it the worst thing as a partner that I think can be done is to then make home not safe to make it a place of constant attack of constant challenge ask questions can we talk about this help me learn my god if this podcast helps start these conversations i'm sure andrew will be but i'll be absolutely delighted right but remember the strength of your relationship is how naturally themselves your partner is with you Good, bad, indifferent. That's so important. And you know what? Again, you look at the list of things people asked and you look at the summary. Everything else in the summary, whether it's being organized or not, whether it's being impulsive or not, whether it's how we understand each other or not, can only be done and can only be done well if we, as those with, feel safe in the company of those that don't have. If we feel safe to be ourselves, safe to be a bit chaotic or a bit messy, right? Because I think that the thing you hit upon that's true is this. Whilst we have got things that probably drive you crazy, if you can actually say to yourself, there is nothing they bring that's the opposite of that. There's no good. There's no value to the relationship. You're, you're saying something very different, but I guarantee there always is. There's fun and there's joy and there's there's emotion and there's happiness and there's all those things that sometimes get forgotten a bit too easily because we focus on it was a bit frustrating that I didn't load the dishwasher or remember to put the washing in a washing machine or, you know, pay bills even. But the understanding of why rather than the action, I think, is important. This is something I say in mentoring, and I don't know if you agree with this all the time. Whenever somebody says X has happened and it's caused this, my reaction always is, okay, let's look at what caused it. What you are seeing is the net result of other. Something else has, has caused that other situation. But what was it? Where was the overload? Where was the emotion building up? Where was the stress or the anxiety? Or the, what caused it and led to that reaction? And if you can understand the cause and the reaction, you can then communicate about it and do something about it. But if you just shout and yell and get upset at the thing, you're never going to understand the why. Yeah. And, and I think it's important thinking about what you've just said, Matt. You said you a lot. Yeah. yeah. In, in, in the words you've just said, you. Yeah. And it's that also... you is the plural. It's the plural you. It is. If, if he is feeling 
Like, it's your responsibility and you must do something differently. There's every chance that that relationship has some challenges to it. Yeah. Because it should be about us. It should be about we. Yeah. It because that when you take the when you take the we approach and the uh, and the the collaborative approach, yeah, you both have responsibility. It's like like I said earlier about communication. Communication is is something that happens between two people, and relationships are something that happens between two people. They are. It is never all one person's fault. No. But there are people out there. Um, and I, I think we with ADHD are, are potentially more vulnerable to this. There are people out there who will capitalize on that. I need to do more. I need to be better. I need mm. to, which is a narrative that we are taught mm. at school. If you just try a little bit harder, yeah. if you bring that, those, those words from teachers into your relationships and you think, Oh, if I could just try a little bit harder, I could make them happy. No, if we try a little bit harder, we can make our relationship stronger, but I can't make my relationship better on my own. It's a, a relationship is, is a shared experience. It's it not is. something that one person has to, to maintain. And I say that because there are people out there who are being abused. Yep. There are people who are being manipulated and having relationships used to for selfish gain by the other partner. Um, and I think if that's happening out there, then seek some help about that. Talk to people about that. Yeah. Um, and not, not necessarily the, ne the person on the bus next to you, but actually have, to have a conversation with a professional about yeah. this. Yeah. Um, be because if it, a relationship is a two-way process, it's never something that is all on one person's shoulders as a responsibility. Yeah. Um, and an argument is is never caused by one person. An argument is conflict between two because we're coming from different positions. And if we can take time to dampen down that emotion, calm that down, get things regulated so we can have a conversation about what the disagreement is rather than just expressing the emotion, which it's valid. You know, I'm not saying don't argue and that a sign of an argument no, is a no. sign of a bad relationship. Actually, the arguments are healthy. Yeah. But it's what you do with that relate with that argument once you've had that flashpoint. Yeah. Boom, goes the, the flash. Out comes the impulsive comments and you say things. Mm. You think, shit, did I say that? I didn't yeah. mean that. That's not what I wanted to say. I said that to hurt someone. Yeah. But how often in relationships do we say, I'm really sorry that I said that. I said it to hurt you and it, it's not what I think. It's what I was thinking at that time because mm -hmm. I was looking for action from you. Saying things like that in relationships can be really powerful because it's okay. honest and it's vulnerable. And I if think you stand behind those impulsive things, you, yeah. you're, you're creating walls and barriers. Yeah, and you're right. And it goes back to this is really important. Yes, as ADHDs, we do have the, the potential to be impulsive. Of course we do. We, we may flash and say impulsive things and if our partners flash equally with us and sort of match us we do need to let that dust settle and then have the extra conversation of okay let's let's now talk about this calmly and like you say i didn't mean to hurt you i'm not trying to hurt you i'm not i i there is something i just want to say here because i think there's two sides to the story about the um, 
unhealthy relationships now. And we sort of mentioned codependence, but particularly in terms of abusive relationships or or relationships that one or the other party feels being manipulated. Now, it's it's a sadness, and, and there is research I know out there that says as ADHDs, particularly as autistic ADHDs, we can be more vulnerable. We can be more vulnerable to being manipulated. We can be more vulnerable to unhealthy relationships, whether that's friendships, workplace, or, or romantic. That's true. However, there is something I really want to make the case for. It's also perfectly true that somebody can have ADHD and autism and also be manipulative and that maybe sometimes their impulsivity and their speed of thought and their ADHD characteristics can make it even harder for someone to the only word I can use is to keep up okay and and particularly and again I am going to speak from very personal experience here and I have no issue with this if we have got someone struggling with addiction and yes I use that term right? I am an addict in recovery. I always will be. But I struggled with recovery all of my life from the age of seven, I've now realized until this year in February at 49, when I finally went enough is enough. I am very aware that throughout my 31 years with my wife, there have been multiple occasions where because of the way my ADHD brain works, it has made my abilities the wrong word because it's not something I'm proud of, but it's made the way that I manipulated the relationship, the way I manipulated situations, controlled situations. It has made that harder for, for Catherine to keep up with. And by the way, she has a, her ADHD and autism as well, right? So there is a conversation to be had about healthy conversation and understanding what ADHD means is very important. We do also have to be very honest and say, I don't feel that this is healthy. I, I feel this is something else. And it is a question that was asked by the community. When is it time to say, do we need to call on a professional? Like you've just said, when is the time when we need to say, I don't think we can manage this relationship, whether it's communication breakdowns or frustrations or whatever it is. My answer to that is that the first sign you feel that there isn't change, that something isn't right, that's when I would be saying, do we need to talk to someone? Because the longer it goes, the longer we squash, the longer we feel we don't have an option, the harder I believe it gets for people. And, and that's hard to say, right? It's hard to admit on camera but it's it's important i think because we can talk about how hard it is to be an addict and when we do a, an episode on addiction i do want to make sure this is covered we have to talk about how hard it is to be a partner or support someone who's in addiction we have to um because that affects the relationship now i'm very fortunate i've got a catherine who has supported me all the way and we are stronger and better for it and I'll never not be grateful, but it's vital we understand that um, because that is, you know, like you say, relationships are two way. You know, we, you you could easily listen to this podcast and feel like, oh, so it's, you know, the person with ADHD is always quote unquote the victim. It's always much harder for them. No, that isn't what I am saying. Mm. It is not at all. No, so you shake your head as well, Andrew. It's not, is it? It's two no. way. 
we have to appreciate we can be really difficult, really annoying, really frustrating. But no matter how emotionally dysregulated or or how much that triggers our RSD, that we have to be able to say that and admit that and have those difficult conversations in those relationships. Otherwise, you know, we're doomed. So, yeah. So this this is why I was talking about attachment theory at the beginning because it's it, it lays those foundations and people probably that have got this far in at the podcast are thinking finally they're talking about relationships, but actually those foundations there where we learn it's safe to be vulnerable. If they're not there, then yeah, you ADHD or not, that's going to have an impact on how you conduct the business of relationships for the rest of your life. It is. Um, and you know that that question of when when do we in our relationship say we need help when we think we do um when don't wait until it's too until it's we've got to do this or it's it's done with because the, yeah. if those questions are there that this isn't working the way we want it to then the only way to, is to to get someone else involved if if you've tried communicating together as two Having a, having a third person to make some observations that will see the impact of those early attachments and the, yeah. the, the experiences we've had. You know, we, we were all, as, as people living with undiagnosed ADHD, um, had negative experiences and not understood them. That yeah. part and parcel of, of being diagnosed with ADHD is, is the signs in the childhood of of that happening and the, yeah. and the human response to that and I'm not going to invest in that relationship anymore because it hurts me. Yeah, they're not understanding me. You know, the, yeah. you either build a wall or you get out of there, don't you? No, I I completely yeah I I completely agree with that because you're right. Um, you know it. it, it it sounds so much like common sense when we sit here talking about it, but how often is that the hardest thing to see or the hardest thing to to put into action, right? You know what's right, but emotions <laughs> get in the way and, and it, it, it's so frustrating. Um, now, listen, I'm very conscious of, of, uh, of the time here, right? I, and I know that this is something we'll revisit. So I just wonder whether there's a bit of merit here by way of a summary, Andrew. I think we have definitely covered why emotional dysregulation causes us so much issues, right? It, it, it goes without saying that if we've struggled through whatever causes with understanding our own emotions, they may be dysregulated. A lot of the questions, though, and in fact, all of them, I think the overarching principle is, if you could say, how do you help another person understand this? How do you bring them in? To that world what do you recommend what what's your sort of approach on that okay <laughs> there he goes again with multi-layered questions all right well the first yeah the, the the first step is not to communicate at, at this depth when you're emotionally dysregulated having an argument is not the time to be getting into making yourself vulnerable with someone else. However, if you ask two people having a relationship, whether that be a boss or a wife or a husband or whatever it is, if you can go into that situation and keep it calm and respect one another, that's the point at which you can open up that communication. If it feels safe 
to be vulnerable, that's the time to put that there. It's about saying, this is how I feel. Not you are doing this to me or you are making me. I feel like this about this situation. Very vulnerable thing to say when you're wanting to say, you're doing my head in. Mm. No. I'm frustrated by this because X, Y, Z. Um, that, I think, allows communication to happen. It's about respecting one another and saying, actually, I think you're getting... The, the emotions are taking over in our communication here. Let's just take five and take a step back and then come back to this. Mm. Um, that is a really powerful thing to, to, to be vulnerable and to be aware enough to say, okay, we've taken this as far as we can without, get, without it getting heated. Let's come back to it. We've made this progress, but let's just leave it there because that progress has been quite hard for, for. And then we'll come back to it. I, th I, I think that's, that's, that allows it to be safe. But you, if you're just being safe and you're building that wall, then you're never being vulnerable. Um, and then you have to ask yourself that question. Why have I built that wall? Is it to protect me from someone who's going to harm me or is it to protect them from something that I'm going to say? And that in an argument is what's always going on, isn't it? Do I build the wall? Do I, do I invest yeah. um, and take the risk of saying this is what I really think? You know, that all that is going on all the time. That's why heated relationship-based discussions break down. Yeah. Because there's so much going on. And in an ADHD brain, many, many more tabs. Thinking about that video you played, you know, mm -hmm. that, that we can't get away from all of that. But by being vulnerable enough to say, my head is so full of all the things you've told me, I just need some time to process it. And then can we take a five minute break? Can we, can we come back to that next time we see each other? That mm -hmm. sort of stuff. Um, it's, it's, it's a way of, Communicating where you're actually at rather than thinking about the end point. Yeah. Um, and listen. Listening is the most important part of any relationship. Yeah. If you're always talking, then you're not hearing what they're saying, so you might as well not be communicating. No, I, I couldn't agree more. And actually, I think to all of our fellow ADHDers out there, that one might hit harder for them than than your partners, because I don't know about you, but my my sort of MO for most of my life until recently was if there was a problem, keep talking until I beat the other person into submission and they gave up listening. And that that. Yeah. That's not effective. It doesn't work. But I did that out of anxiety and panic and everything else. Actually, it's similar to what you were just saying. One of the best things Catherine and I have ever done is is something we were we were taught by a therapist, which was several times a week we sit down, we look at each other, and she talks for five minutes, and I listen and say nothing. And then I talk for five minutes and she listens and say nothing. And if we need to go again, we do. And at no point do we respond. And at no point do we reply when we start talking. We just listen. And then we say, right, okay. Do you think that this, whatever this is, needs a bit more time? And if the answer is yes, you say, right, shall we come back to that? And whether that's later that day or tomorrow, when we're in the right place and everything's calm, and I cannot tell you, as an ADHD, -er, how very uncomfortable that was to start doing the first time I started, right? Just beyond uncomfortable. 
but I also can't tell anyone how effective it's been. It just transformative because actually all of the questions that I see before me, we've been able to address, we've been able to have conversations about, we've been able to, to discuss. And by the way, rounding back to the beginning, I've used the same strategy with clients to help them explain me. I would use the same strategy if I was in work and struggling now. Look, can I just have a conversation where I just get five minutes? I just need you to hear what's going on in here. And then I want you to give me your opinion. And then can we go away and then come back? It it takes a lot of the opportunity, I think, for the emotions to spiral with me. It takes a lot of the opportunity for that to happen. And, and Andrew, you're spot on. When the something has happened is never the right time to discuss it. No. It's never the right time to discuss it. A lot of these questions you've asked have come because of problems, right? And undeniably, situations. That is not the right time to have the deep and meaningful. But it is right to go back to it and say, when that happened, it was this that was going through my head. Or I reacted like this because... But, you know, it all comes down to... Like you say, understanding ourselves, the relationship we have with ourselves, really well first. Yeah. So what, one thing that's coming to my mind whilst you were saying all of that, and I, I, I imagine people have, have been listening to what you've just said and are, are shouting this out. Yeah. But what if I forget that important point that I've got to make? And that, that was happening in my head. I was, I was wanting to interrupt you and say, but what is, you know... It's really difficult to sit and listen to someone for five minutes. Mm. Um, in my working life, I do that. I sit and listen for an hour at a time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it's hard work to do. Do what it takes. Have a notepad beside you and, and capture those ideas. Yeah. That's what I do when we're talking, Matt. And yeah. it, 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 it's those communication styles. And yes. maybe there's something about a need for a podcast about communication and how do we navigate our ADHD and communication, um, which is, is evolving from the conversation that we're having today. Oh, without, um, question. without question. Another thing, another thing that's come to my mind while, while you were talking there um, was it's, it's, it's personal, but I'm going to say it. If I see something, I experience something that Sarah is doing that annoys me. Mm. The first thing I ask myself is, is that because of her ADHD? She has doom piles everywhere. <laughs> yeah. So for those that don't know what a doom pile is, it's, it's those things that you pick up and you put in a place. They're on their way to somewhere. And these piles become a place of their own. Yes, and, and Sarah's br brilliant for that, um, and they they really do my head in. Um, <laughs> and early in the relationship, you know, I, I remember when we first got together, I coming round to my flat, and she said, "You're so tidy. Um, this isn't going to work out because you're so tidy." Um, and then I went to her house, and I thought, "Shit, yeah, you're so not tidy." Yeah. But the only reason I'm tidy. It's because if I wasn't, I'd be as messy as she is. So I put a lot of effort into keeping things tidy. And yeah. actually, if things get 
too tidy in our house, that's a sign that there's an issue. And if they yeah. get too messy, so we, it it it's being aware as as a partner, whether you've ADHD or not, that that ADHD is impacting on the choices that mm. that person, the person that you love, is making. And if you love them, then there's more to them than their doom piles. Yeah. Um, one of the first conversations I had with Sarah's mum was she's messy isn't she she said and i said yeah but there's so much more to her than that yeah. and i you know mess mess will tidy up but some of the things that sarah has i've not met in other people yeah so it it's it's keeping a balanced view that yeah sometimes there are going to be piles of mess there there are going to be things said impulsively there are going to be things forgotten mm. you know oh you didn't pay that bill why not now we're in you know yeah. you forgot and I love you, and it's okay that you forgot. It's got to be. Um, so, so symptoms, I think, are are helpful. Being mindful of of, of the symptoms that we're experiencing, that those patterns of of how we cope with our own, own individual ADHD. Um, it's important to to understand those, um, because. You know, Sarah's not proud of her doom piles any more than I'm proud of how much I grind myself into the ground to try and do the opposite and keep everything tidy so that I know where everything is. Mm. So so a, a relationship is a context for personal growth, I think. It is. If you allow it to be and you work with each other, respecting that you're going to make mistakes, that things are going to go wrong, but that you've got a common goal, that you've got each other's backs. That's what a relationship is. Yeah. Um, and it's taken me a long time to work that out. And, yeah. you know, Sarah and I have been together far fewer years than you and Catherine. Um, but the relationships that I've had prior to that, it, it didn't feel like this. It didn't feel like yeah. there was that working together. Yeah. And I, th I think if you've got that shared goal of togetherness and you respect each other's deficits as well as each other's strengths mm. and, and and actually come to love the things that fall short of typically good that's when you've got something that'll last yeah I, I think that's absolutely beautifully put yeah you're right um and and that is true of Catherine and I you know yes all the things that that I frustrate her with and vice versa they are they are significant but they are not everything and there is so much more to us and it, and the amount of times we get told you know you're such a good couple together and you work so well together and it's that when we work we work brilliantly we are that well-oiled machine and and that's what's important it's that that ability to see the good um and to see beyond the, the issues and i think the, the the last thing I would like to say to any partners that listen to this is, you know, you've, you, we're an hour and a half in and we, again, it's one of those where this could be 10 hours and we wouldn't cover everything. We will revisit undoubtedly this, but I'll go back to pinching your line. The person sat in front of you that frustrates you and that you love, that drives you mad and makes you happy, right? They are the expert on themselves their adhd is not an excuse if they say it's an adhd thing it's not an excuse 
And if you want to learn what ADHD means to them, ask them. Because you could read everything online, but they're not the person sat in front of you. And that's what Andrew and I are only able to do. We're only able to share from the experience we've both got of working with other people. But we don't know your partners. We don't know your kids. We don't know those relationships. Talk to them at the right time and just ask them kind questions. You know, when you do this, is there a reason? What goes through your head? How does that feel? Because I know from my point of view, if I ask Catherine things like that and she does or other people do, I don't feel threatened. I don't feel anxious. I don't feel like I'm being judged. I feel like somebody actually really genuinely cares enough to want to learn. And that makes the relationships even better for me. Right. I've nothing to add to that. That's that's exactly it. Yeah. Well, yeah, vice versa. So, folks, listen, there was a lot in that. Um, I will, again, endeavour to put what links we can in and the video on YouTube will have chapters. Um, if you've enjoyed it, please tell us, put us, let, let us know in the comments wherever you watch or listen. Please do subscribe. Please do Turn on the bell so you know when the next videos are coming out and share it with people that may be interested in. Again, we are doing this because we have a passion for, for really good information being put out there. It's not for profit. It's not for gain. Never going to be sponsored. We're doing it because it helps us and hopefully it helps you and you can help us by sharing it. You can help us by telling other people about it. So please, please, please do because... You know, I know we both genuinely, genuinely appreciate it uh, when you do. And we will be back with another episode next week on Thursday. So do keep your eyes open. And if you want to join the uh, WhatsApp community, I will make sure that goes in the show notes. Please feel free to join because that's where you get to have an input into the future episodes and content of the podcast. And by the way, just because I feel really mean if I don't tell you, the man in the video was talking about his unique method of how to learn multiple languages effectively. Yeah, almost impossible to pick out, isn't it? But there you go. That's what the conversation is. He's a multilinguist and he's sharing his method. So, folks, listen, this has been Talk ADHD. This has been a a dip into the uh, the waters of relationships, and we hope you've enjoyed it. Andrew, thank you ever so much again. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Goodbye.